Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Thanks, Josh. When I was asked to go on that trip, I thought, well, I can't go, but who, who do I want to owe me for the rest of their life? I thought, well, Josh is kind of a rising star. <laughs> Might be some benefits down the road. <laughs> no, really, it's great to have him go, and he's such a great leader and represents us so well and, uh, and confessed to the Pope, so you can't beat that. I told him that I wanted him to come back with a handkerchief or something. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, Next week, we go to an 11 o'clock and an 845 service. So if some of you want to come earlier, that'd be great. Okay, cool. We got a couple. Um, It'll give us more time in between services to hang out. It'll uh, help with parking a little bit. And we'll just see how it goes. If we get flooded, then we'll go back. or we'll just do it live on Facebook because that feature's available now. So just stay in your car or whatever. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. First um, Peter chapter 5. We're going to wrap up the book today. We've been in it for several weeks, months. And um, what Peter is doing, what he has been doing, is really helping this group of people who have become followers of Jesus scattered throughout this whole region and they're experiencing suffering and they're experiencing persecution. And through that, he's saying, look, I want you to understand this amazing salvation that has come to you through the Father and the Son and the Spirit. I want you to understand this very particular identity that you have as God's people. And I want you to be faithful to live that out in the midst of uh, a culture that could be very hostile to it. But, but he really wants them to understand that when they suffer, God is with them. He needs them to know that. He wants them to persevere. He wants their faith to be shaped and refined and become something, something beautiful that we enter into glory of Christ with. But suffering is one of those things that nobody wants. On the back end, you have gone through something and you can kind of look back and you can be maybe thankful for all that had occurred and what God did in your life. But if we're, if we're honest, we would love to just pass on that one. When it shows up on your doorstep, you just sort of answer the door and say, no, thank you. Uh, but the guy next door loves suffering, so why don't you hit his house, right? <laughs> Nobody wants it. And yet... For whatever reason, in a broken world, in a planet that's tilted a little too much the wrong way, we all experience it. And everybody tries to understand why it occurs, and the best that we could come up with is it just occurs. It's a broken world, and there's real evil, and there is suffering in the world. And, and if you go, if, if you're an atheist, or you're more agnostic, You really don't have any better answers than anybody else. But the hope of the gospel is that God is with us in the suffering to take us through the suffering and to end it once and for all. 
And so I want you to follow along with me as we kind of try to wrap this up and get a picture for who this God is to us in the midst of suffering. And we'll start in chapter 5, verse 6. We hit uh, 6 and 7 the last, last week, but um, we're going to do that for context. If you want to focus on just anxiety, which we talked about last week, that's on the podcast. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen so i want to talk about uh four things i want to talk about the nearness of god in suffering the vulnerability of suffering what is god like when he's with us in our suffering and then what what do we do to celebrate and confess his reign in our life um, so let's talk about the nearness of God in suffering. One of the things that, that carries us all through the whole of the Bible is this reality that God is on the side of the sufferer. He hears their cry and he moves to intervene. So much so that at the center of suffering, the pinnacle of what we see to be suffering is a cross with the Son of God dying on it. This isn't a God who winks and looks the other way or pretends it doesn't exist, but takes evil, sickness, death, hardship, persecution very, very seriously. He takes the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of the world so seriously that he himself enters into the brokenness and suffering of the world. He himself becomes victim of the brokenness and suffering of the world. And it's through this self-volunteer love sacrifice that he actually overcomes the brokenness and the suffering of the world. And so God is on the side of the sufferer. But I think when suffering does show up at your doorstep, the question is, what is happening to me? What's happening to our lives? What's happening to my plans, my future? What's happening to my body, my bank account, my daughter, my loved ones, my friends? What is happening? And it's very, very confusing. And for those of us that are followers of Christ, Christ gives us a picture through Peter of what God might be up to in the process of our suffering. Look with me at chapter 1, and this sort of bookends what Peter's letter is trying to do, which is to show that this God and Father is saving us, and he's saving us through suffering. Look what it says in verse 3. 
It says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is already, that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Peter starts out the letter by saying, you have, been, you have become part of this great salvation through the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And that this triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, God, has come after you, and yet your experience in this world is going to be sometimes hostile. You will suffer things. Yet God knows, God cares, God shields you in this now and not yet reality. In other words, the kingdom of God has shown up now through the spirit of God, through the salvation of Christ, but it's not yet fully here. And so that's coming. And there will be an end to all this brokenness and suffering and sin and death. But in the meantime, when you suffer all kinds of trials, meaning put whatever you feel like suffering is in that category, then what's happening is God is purifying your faith. That it's of more precious worth than gold which perishes, but this, this refining process is that it's going to bring up all the dross, all the stuff that you're like, that's really in me? I didn't know that was there. Your doubts, your sins, your temptations, all that. And he's going to purify that faith. The things that you believe about God that aren't true, the bargaining that you made with a God who won't bargain, all of that, he's saying, I want to help you create something because the most valuable thing about you is your faith. And that that faith is precious to God. And he's prepared you for this eternal glory in Christ where that faith will never perish. It won't spoil. It won't fade. But suffering is going to be part of the journey. And it's a journey where you learn to depend on God and to experience him as present, caring, comforting. But it's also a journey of suffering. Cicely Saunders, who is the founder of the modern hospice movement, and she really looked back at, the, at, at a medieval idea of a good death. What does it mean to die well? And she started the hospice movement. And if you've ever had a loved one who was dying and hospice came in, you know how amazing those people are, to sit and to care with you, to care for your loved ones in their final days. But she said this when she asked, where is God? And she said, God does not prevent the hard things in this broken and dangerous world. 
but he shares in them with us. Meaning he doesn't prevent them, but he comes into them with us and walks through them with us. There is a very real sense that God isn't always going to rescue you from everything you might suffer. But there will be nothing that you suffer that he can't redeem. There will be no incident that you suffer that he won't bring good out of for his glory and your joy. But the truth is, in the midst of it, he is going to shape us and change us and purify us as he prepares us for that eternal glory. And suffering is the journey that all of us will or are going through to get there. Now there's also a vulnerability in suffering. And in that vulnerability, Peter understands that part of it is that we're vulnerable to satanic attack. If you've ever watched um, like a Jurassic Park movie, and you know when they finally escape one dinosaur and they go in and then a bunch of more dinosaurs show up? It's kind of how this verse feels to me. It's like, oh, we're safe. Wait, no, there's a roaring lion too. We forgot to tell you about that. But don't worry, he's hungry and he wants to devour somebody. And you're like, okay, great. But that vulnerability is that in our weakness, when all these questions sort of come up, we're vulnerable to doubt. Where is God? God, are you even real? God, why did you let this happen? We're vulnerable to um, chucking our faith. Pain, the one thing that's true about pain, it will either draw you deeper to God or it'll move you away from God and you become a bitter and resentful person. There's almost no neutral response to pain. And that vulnerability is that those doubts and those questions, you know, that, that Satan can pounce on those. And you turn into the accuser of God, even though we have a world full of evil and full of sin and, and humanity that has free will that is making a mess of the place, we still want to blame God and not take any responsibility for what happens. Satan can pounce on you in that place. And Peter, knowing this, says, look, you need to understand that you have to be alert when you're suffering. You have to be of sober mind because there is an enemy and he's prowling around. He's looking for someone to devour. And our job isn't to kill him or defeat him. It's to resist and stand firm. It really isn't that impressive, right? You're going to resist like when those questions come up and and they do, they do in my life, like, God, are you real? God, is this actually a plan that you have? Like, all the questions. And part of resisting is going, I want to, like, read biographies and books about people who've suffered great things and, and experience God in them. I don't want to just go passive and just watch TV or check out. Part of resisting is going, I want to answer some of my questions, and I am allowed to ask hard questions. 
One of the problems, I think, with American evangelicalism is that when you suffer, you assume you're the only one because everybody else looks like they have it together. And so rather than being honest about where you're at, you fake it, which, you know, we all suck at that. And so you fake like, oh, everything's okay. And what you're actually doing is you're isolating yourself. And God invites you to ask the hard questions, to make your case. What's funny is when people think, well, if I was honest, no one could handle what I really have to say about God who would allow this to happen. Well, I disagree. I think the hardest words have already been spoken and they're in the Bible. Like the psalmist is saying, why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long will you do nothing, God, as the enemy kind of destroys us? You hear this over and over in scripture. They don't pretend that lament and grief and suffering doesn't occur. They authentically engage God with it, though. And so many times they start with lament, they start with complaint, but they do end in worship because they're working through the honest questions and feelings and emotions with God. And they grow through it. The worst thing you could do is pretend it doesn't happen. To act like everything's normal when inside you're spinning. Part of resisting and standing firm is opening the scriptures and joining the authors who made their case before God honestly with integrity, and they met God in that place. God's big. He can handle it. He's not real stoked about how things went either. But he's so caring and so loving that he's redeeming it, that he came into it himself, that he cried those words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the same breath, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This isn't a God who can't handle your suffering. Do not let Satan take you out. So resisting and standing firm means go to God. Come to church. Don't quit coming to church. You need to hear. You need to eat this bread and drink this wine and pray these prayers. You need each other to sit with and be honest with and to wrestle together in this place. Your suffering is unique to you. But it is also similar to suffering that everybody experiences. Here's what I mean, and Peter says this. He says, you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That whenever we suffer, suffering is a personal thing. And there are always people who are like, well, my suffering is worse than anybody's suffering ever has been. Or that nice platitude that says, well, at least you're not suffering as bad as so-and-so. Which doesn't ever make me feel better. Just feels like, oh, yeah, it could be worse. It probably will be, thanks. (laughs) It's probably heading that direction, but I appreciate your your, uh, encouragement. 
And yet any suffering is suffering, right? You experience it. It's real to you. It's painful. It does all the stuff that suffering does. There's grief. There's loss. There's questions. There's doubt. And it's not our job to say, let me try to explain why you're really not suffering. And so it's very unique to each person, but it's also a common human experience. And so it's similar. And when we suffer together, the most beautiful things get created. It it really is phenomenal. The way our shared humanity finds solidarity in moments of tragedy, in moments where people are hurting. And it's not just Christians who love people who suffer, you know. Like, lots of people show up when they're suffering and they care for each other. An atheist, and those of you who lean more agnostic, really it boils down to that there is no, we are no more than complex organisms. And we're programmed by selfish genes to act purely out of self-interest. And so there would be suffering in the world because that's the case. But the reason that doesn't stand up for me is because you can't explain the selflessness that people show in the midst of tragedy. You think of Newtown, where all those children were massacred years ago. Not many years ago. And the outpouring of a nation that love them, family saying, I have, I have 5,000 letters that I've received of condolence and grief and sharing it with me. Our ability to rally around horrible evils like the shooting in Orlando and reach out together in our shared humanity. When you ask one of the parents Like, wouldn't it have just been in your self-interest to not have had that child so you didn't have to suffer this grief or this loss? They would just be appalled by that question. Because that gift of that child, even if it was only for seven or ten years, is still a gift. That memories that they lock into, that they hold on to, are still so meaningful and meaning-making in their life. I mean, if the atheistic slogan's true, then none of that adds up. We are more compassionate, more loving than we should be, if that's true. But if we are created in the image of a God who suffers with us, then all of that really makes sense. That there would be a God who shows up in your pain with grace and kindness and comfort. That makes sense that we would image that to each other, whether we believe in that God or not, because it's in us. 
life is too precious and too significant. None of us would look back, even on times of great suffering, that you've learned so much. Most people would say, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't have entered it going in, but I wouldn't want to trade it because I met God in so many unique ways. I would rather care for my daughter with disabilities than ever go meet the Pope. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. It's a privilege to be her dad. And yes, it's painful to watch her suffer and to suffer with her. But there's so much depth and meaning in it because ultimately she's a gift to me. And part of that gift means we suffer together. And I wouldn't trade that. And I can't wait for the day when she stands before God with no more mourning or crying or tears and the old order has passed away. We're gonna dance that day. We're gonna party that day. I look forward to that day. This is a God who is with us in our suffering. Where is God and what is he doing? I want you to see a couple slides that I think Peter points to that should give us a lot of hope. The first is he paints a picture for us as God, the warrior king. If you look at the language that he uses, that there is the mighty hand of God, that God will lift you up, that God is going to make you strong and make you firm and make you steadfast. And then he ends with this doxology of to him be the power and the glory, dominion forever and ever. Like he's, he's crying that out because he sees God as his mighty warrior king. And in the face of great suffering, in the face of prowling lions, that this is the king who can protect and care, who has the capacity to take care of his people. Not just around suffering, but through it into victory. So when you sit there in the midst of your moment, right, and you have them, and you go, I don't have the resources, I feel incredibly weak, I feel incredibly insecure, I don't know what the future looks like, I don't have the capacity that I used to have. Your hope is not that you'll regain it and then go back to being God of your own little world, but that you actually do have a God who has the capacity, who is your warrior king who has defeated your enemy, who has suffered your suffering, who is present with you in comforting and has the power to reach down into that pit and lift you up. And he, in that power, says, I will make you strong. I will make you firm. I will make you steadfast. It's a picture of restoring that God will restore. That's your hope. That's his action towards you in suffering. But there's also his character. 
And his character is that, next slide, God is a merciful father. He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That he's watching what you're going through with intentionality and concern. He cares. And he's with you. He's present in it. He's chosen to dwell in us, to abide with us. He is the God of all comfort that comforts us in our trials so that we can comfort others. And in Peter's mind, he is the God of all grace. That there isn't a pain too big. There isn't an obstacle that he can't be in with you. And I know for many of you, it sounds like it doesn't feel that way. I get that. And there's days where it won't feel that way. But he has grace for that. There is enough grace for you in what you're going through. And your merciful, merciful father has it for you. He's the God who called you to himself, like he chose you. You're my son, you're my daughter. I want you to be my people. You are my special possession. Like you belong to him as a father. You belong to him as sons and daughters. And that matters to you. And it should matter to all of us in the midst of suffering. The Father sees and knows and cares and is with. It doesn't mean that he's going to fix everything. And, you know, I have teenagers now. And I don't rescue them from all their mistakes. They are upset about this. <laughs> right? But all I will do... Part of their growth is like, yeah, you got to suffer that, bro. That's the consequences of this and that. And that's how they grow. But there is never a situation that God can't redeem. And this loving father is walking us through a suffering world, redeeming it by allowing those things to purify our faith and make us fit for a kingdom where we share in his eternal glory. That is a good picture. And so the hope for us is that when you're suffering, Peter says, put your hope in God's capacity to protect you and to restore you through his character as your merciful father and as your warrior king, his character and his power are what we rest in, run to, seek refuge in. So we trust that God is on the side of sufferers. We act with resistance, standing firm in our faith. We believe this, that God is our merciful father and our warrior king. And one of the things that I would encourage you to practice is this sort of doxology at the end, where he says, to him be the power forever and ever, amen. Doxology is part of these letters as you read through the New Testament where they burst out in kind of prayer and praise and, and worship. What they're doing is they're confessing God's power 
They're celebrating his reign. And it helps them to remember whose world is this? Who do I belong to? And, and that perspective helps them understand the suffering that they're in. Confessing his power and celebrating his reign. And we do this every week. We do this when we're at this table. We do it when we sing songs. We do it when we hear scripture. We do it when we pray with each other. Like, what are we doing? We're confessing that God is a powerful God. We're celebrating the fact that he reigns and that we're his. You have to do that. We have to participate in this growth of suffering that we are experiencing. There is a... A guy by the name of Philip Yancey, maybe you've heard of him. He's written great books on suffering, uh, Where's God When It Hurts. And he tells the story of meeting a Scottish woman named Margaret, and she had throat cancer. And there were these well-meaning Christians making comments to her. You know, Christians are always quick to give answers that aren't helpful. And we, should, we really should, when we come alongside each other, pr- be like Job's friends that first few days. Sit with them, weep with them, and shut up. And as soon as they start talking, they jack the whole thing up. Job could have been like three chapters, but no. They have to keep yakking through the whole book, right? I would have liked it better that way. And so you always get these well-meaning comments, well, God wanted to do this, or you're being disciplined, or he's going to heal you, or all things that they don't know, but, you know, they feel uncomfortable, and we all do that. And so imagine you have throat cancer, and you can't talk back to them. And they just come, and they're like, bah, 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 bah. You're like mm-hmm, right? You want to you respond. And he, and he says that she writes this note to him. And she says this in practicing, this idea of practicing, confessing his power and celebrating his reign. She said, cancer is not the worst thing. Cancer is so limited. It cannot cripple love or shatter hope or corrode faith. It can't eat away peace or destroy confidence. It can't kill friendship or shut out memories. It can't silence courage or quench the spirit it can't lessen the power of christ that is one person and her experience of doing this not all of us could do that or say those things or be honest like i don't know it feels like it is but but there are some things right that you can confess and practice and celebrate And so today we come to this table and it is an act of confession, an act of celebrating that our God is a caring father who saw us in our suffering and gave us his son. And he is a mighty king who entered into that suffering and bore it for us so that he could conquer it once and for all. And now that God walks with us in our suffering by his spirit to comfort us, to purify us, and to take us through. And we're going to get there. 
We're going to get there together. And there is great eternal hope when we see him face to face. And there's no more mourning or crying or pain. Heaven matters. It matters today and it matters then. So I want to invite you down to bring your suffering and to practice that confession to your caring God. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we come to you. We come to you lonely. We come to you hurting. We come to you as cynics and skeptics and, and in disbelief. But God, we're here. And I pray, God, that as we come to this table, as we come for prayer at these doors, as we sing these prayers and songs to you, God, that we would gain confidence that in this momentary life of suffering and brokenness, it is just that. And that you are with us, dwelling with us as a caring father and a warrior king. So fight for us, redeem us, purify us, and give us the courage to resist and to stand firm when we're tempted to bail on faith. Meet us at this table, I pray, with your assurance and your victory and your hope because we really need it now, God. We pray in Christ's name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.